0: To the week ahead podcast um chuck you had a pretty busy week last week you were in olympia washington and then a little secret mission to canada which we'll report on later this week uh tell me about your time in washington
1: yeah i actually had a great uh engagement in washington i i want to say olympia but it was in a, a a little city on the edge of olympia and the name yeah like, escapes my mind not, right now yeah, yeah. But, Lacey uh, we Washington. lacy that's the one that was. yeah it's very nice they they packed a room and we had a full like three hours and so it it, it was an engagement that went like a long time we had a we had, we had one of the best q a sessions that i've had in a long time and in fact i'm going to write i was going to do it for today but i i opted to write about something else today but Next week, I'm going to write uh, about one of the questions and my answers, because it was such a good question. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was essentially about uh, idealizing the past and running the risk of, of doing that and not capturing like the full context of, of what life was like. In, in the times that I'm showing up on the screen as being like a model of how to build a strong right. time, I, I thought it was such a good question. And we had a really interesting discussion. So, yeah, a a very, a very active
0: audience. Was it, um, mostly planners and, uh, other apes or was it, uh, citizens?
1: You know, uh, this was put on by the American planning association local chapter there, which they just had the national conference in Seattle. I want to say last year. So they're pretty involved and they're pretty engaged. Uh, it was a lot of planners, but it was a lot of uh, people, citizens who are uh, more active in like the current status quo. So a lot of planning commission members, uh, a lot of elected officials, a lot of people who are serving on different commissions and boards. Uh, that made for an interesting group and an interesting conversation. But I, I don't know. I, I found it to be really refreshing the the Northwest is such a strange part of this country, because on one hand, they're, they're doing so many things so well, and there's, there's, a, there's a really good dialogue and conversation there. Yet, when you step back, uh, it, they have some of the worst of the worst in, in that part of the world, because pretty much everything substantive was built post-World War II, and, and that means that mm. the challenges they face today are just enormous. Um, but yeah, a, a really good, I, I'm glad I went. It was a really good conversation.
0: Do you prefer presenting to an audience like that, that's, where it's clearly a public event, um, you get a diverse crowd versus a crowd where it's a private event for like government staff or something, or does it really vary?
1: Uh, it, it varies. If you're asking me like my personal preference, I, I, I love groups that are mixed. A lot yeah. more than groups that just are all like technical professionals. Um, mm-hmm. When I, when I speak to groups of technical professionals, uh, it, it's it's hit and miss. Sometimes it goes really well. Sometimes it, it's really difficult, uh, depending on the 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 mindset and inclination of those groups of of professionals. When I speak to groups of public officials and concerned citizens and, and people who are not day to day immersed in this stuff. It, it always goes extremely well those those audiences are a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. I, I think my ideal would be to have a mixture of the two. I, I think we all benefit from having the, the the skeptical professional who's been doing this for three decades who you know has the very practical question uh, and we also benefit from the person who can look at it with fresh eyes from the outside and just wants things to work better and are more open to questioning the system. I, I think it's good for people to hear questions from both of those types of people.
0: Mm-hmm. Diverse crowd. So yeah. that kind of ties into your post for today, um, which I really, I really like that and I appreciate the message there. Um, do you want to give a summary of that?
1: I'm, I'm glad you liked it. Cause I, I told my wife over the weekend as I was kind of putting my notes and thoughts together that I, I ran the risk of being like a little sour grapes and a little um, defensive. And I I don't want to be uh, because, you know, I, I'm a big guy. I can take a, a punch here and there and, and be okay with it. But I was mad. I was actually mad last week because in my local paper, uh, we had just the annual appointments to the, the planning commission and, the other boards and committees at city hall and the city superficially asks everybody, you know, if you're interested, sign up, we would love to hear from anybody. And of course, Mm -hmm. when they get to actually appointing people, they appoint a bunch of people who look exactly like and talk exactly like, and have the same exact background as the people who are on the council, despite the fact that they had probably the two most qualified candidates in the entire thing uh you know were were completely ignored and looked over and not recommended for any positions. I know one of these candidates really well. And she is uh a pusher. She is uh someone who makes things happen. She is not going to make you feel comfortable. And I think they didn't want to deal with that. Um the other woman I do not know as well, but I'm I'm aware of her. And she, you know, much the same way. I, I, I'm I'm a little bit sensitive to it and the notion that, you know, having raised daughters now makes me a little more aware of some things that growing up in a family of all men I wouldn't necessarily have been aware of maybe a decade ago. Uh but gosh, you get two very capable women apply for these jobs and they 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 were in my mind the most qualified of, of the five and they're the two left out of the process. So I, I got a little upset and I actually shared some of the uh, antagonizing correspondence <laughs> that some of these uh, people in power have sent me over the years because I, I, I'm I sick of, it's one thing to bully me, it's another thing to bully other people. And I just, I, I kind of wanted to name names and say, look, this bullying has got to end because we need these voices as part of the conversation.
0: Yeah. And the particular person that you kind of called out has commented on the blog before using her own name, right? So yes, you know,
1: it's not
0: has, exactly a
1: secret. She, the, the, the one who, with the nastiest things sends me emails uh, every now and then. She is, uh, she, actually, it's really kind of crazy because she was like an early antagonist and would actually go To events where I was speaking at around here because very early in Strong Towns, uh, what what I did was I just went and talked to cities around here. Uh, I just Mm -hmm. went if I could drive to you and you were interested, I would go talk to you. And she made a habit of following me around and showing up and sitting in the audience and antagonizing basically asking really nasty questions, standing up and giving really nasty comments and
0: it was one of those dedication, things,
1: yeah, it, it, it was one of these things where you're like what what you know, what did I ever do to you like why why are you doing this and yeah, it's only gotten weirder as time's gone by, but that's part of part of it I chalk up to being in a small town I mean we we all know each other, we all have yeah. histories with each other, uh, but I think there's a point where it crosses over from being small town folk to just being self-destructive and hurtful. And last week I thought our city council crossed that line where mm-hmm. gosh, if, if you have two capable people stand up and say, I want to be on a committee and they're new voices with new ideas. And instead you actually go out and recruit some of the good old boys, you know, to be in these positions, we're going in the wrong direction. You know, that 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 that's just going backward.
0: Do you think there are gonna be repercussions for you after posting this in your own town? Or do people not follow the blog that closely?
1: Um, I I I think that there's a, a group that follows the blog, but will there be repercussions for me? No, because I don't have <laughs> I don't have any like professional standing here and I'm not like mm-hmm. I, I'm not held in high esteem by the people who run the government here. Yeah. Uh, either staff or professionals. So, it, it, I mean, I could say anything and they don't really care. Um, <laughs> there are people in the community that that I think will read it and listen to it. We have a, a, a number of members here and, you know, I've been working with groups of people to try to recruit new candidates to run and, and be more involved here locally. That's not strong Towns work because we're not a political organizing group. That's my own free time. Uh, this may affect a few of them. I mean, a few of those people might, um, but probably in a positive way because they're as fed up with the uh, the inside uh, baseball, so to speak, as I am. Mm, yeah. I mostly just want, you know, I, I, I think there's a sense that, you know, if we tolerate this kind of thing, if we tolerate this kind of bullying and this kind of uh, behavior for ourselves, which I do, I tolerate it. I, I allow the people here in my community to ridicule me, uh, to, uh, to, to, you know, debase my ideas. I, I don't fight back. I don't mix it up with them. I, I, I let the ideas kind of stand on their own. And I, I don't kind of get in the gutter in a sense with them. But there are times when I think you have to stand up and say like, look, this is wrong. And if, you, if, if no one is willing to step up and say it's wrong, then it's really not wrong, right? Uh, so, you know, when, when it's me, it's one thing. When it's other people in the community who are trying to do their part and they get subjected to that same treatment, it, it, it is a point where I just have to say, look, this has gone too far. And you guys can be bullies, but you're not going to do it with impunity.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Um, can I ask you about another post that ran last week on the blog? I'd be interested in in your perspective. Um, yeah. I don't tell me if you had a chance to read this one. The um the one by Spencer Gardner about golf courses.
1: Um, I briefly looked at it. I can't say I can speak with real depth. Okay. Here.
0: Basically, uh, Spencer is a member and he wrote this piece about a golf course in Madison. Um, that Madison actually has four municipally owned golf courses. And he's kind of arguing that this golf course takes up a huge amount of space. It's owned by the government and it's um, barely, you know, it's not turning a profit, let alone it's barely breaking even. Um, And he's kind of arguing if this space was used for housing and commercial use, it would be much more productive tax wise, Um, which I thought was an interesting perspective. And I thought it was, cool to see a citizen just kind of taking a look at the numbers himself and to making a conclusion from that. But it got a lot of conversation, um, on the website and on Facebook also. Um, and I, I gave it somewhat of a, uh, clickbaity headline, oh, not clickbaity, but, uh, an intriguing headline. Um, and so I yeah. took issue with that. Um, which I really respect to that. Our readers and our members are, um, attuned to like headlines that are, you know, we don't want to be Huffington Post. Like we, we have responsible, well-written headlines. Um, but with this one, I kind of, I wanted to create a controversial headline so people would read it. Um, yeah. And someone on Facebook commented that using the phrase, rob their cities of tax revenue and opportunity cost of tax revenue are good phrases to lose conservatives and libertarians. Um, and he, he, he made some concessions at the end of his comment, so I thought it was a well-reasoned comment. But I'd be interested in your perspective, since you identify as a libertarian, because um, I would have thought the bigger issue would be a golf course that's owned by the city it doesn't really make sense from a libertarian perspective. But what do you think, Chuck?
1: Well, <laughs> that, that part of it is, is very true. I, I, don't, I guess I don't get that critique um, You know, that you might be turning off more conservative people it's because conservatives like golf. I, I guess I don't, I'm not following, you there. Um, I'm not following that critique. It, it's, it's interesting to me because my, my gut reaction to the article was that I, I really liked the thoughtfulness of Spencer, like the idea that, cause really that's, that's what we want people to do. We want people to look at exactly. space. Yeah, look, look at your community. You're gonna see all kinds of underutilized space and start asking questions about it. Now, mm-hmm. if, if I were to go to Madison, Madison has some fantastic areas. But to me, like the low hanging fruit to, of, of wasted space it is not going to be the golf course. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. it, the golf course is a huge chunk of land that, you know, uh, if you compare it to the greenfield that like Smart of America modeled on the edge of town, I, I can see where that debate would have some merit. But I, I think you need to look at the neighborhoods there uh, in mm-hmm. Madison and say, all right here's our unutilized space. I mean, here's our space that needs uh, an incremental development pattern and more investment. And if you did that math, you would see that the opportunity costs um, from from running a golf course versus developing a golf course versus incrementally investing in your neighborhood, the incremental investment in the neighborhood blows everything else away. That being said, you know, what... Is a golf course, you know, the highest and best use of of property? Uh, It's pretty hard to make that case. You know, you have four municipal golf courses. I don't know how many uh, uh, private golf courses there are, but, you know, those are places that cities have historically done pretty poorly, uh, that cities have tended to, um, you know, run in a way that is not... um, out for like the the physical, the, the, the financial benefit of the city, but more of like an amenity and an amenity for a very narrow band of people within the community.
0: I, right. For- I think that was the argument here. Like people were saying, well, public parks, you know, isn't that just the same thing, but you can, you know, anyone can play at a park for free. You don't need any special equipment. You don't need any special training. You know, there's basketball courts, there's playground equipment. So it really like, appeals to all ages versus this golf course, which is, you know, a very specific group of the population can participate in that, I think. Well,
1: even, I mean, I've seen cities who have done things like, you know, okay, we've got this municipal golf course, we're going to have a a day a week that, or a day every now and then that's open to the public for free, and we're going to have, you know, lessons for people, and we're going to have equipment for people, but those are rare instances. Uh, For the most part, these Mm -hmm. are run as, yeah, like uh, an amenity for a very narrow band of people. Now, you could argue, and I I think this would be a little bit of a stretch, but you can say, well, you know, libraries are for a certain band of people. Concert halls are for a certain band of people. Stadiums and theaters and, you know, all Mm -hmm. all these things are, they're they're not universal. Maybe, I I don't know, You, you can make those arguments, I'm not necessarily against cities having golf courses, baseball fields, tennis courts, you know, whatever it is. I think though, when you're doing it, uh, what we don't, what we tend to do is we tend to, because we give them to a parks department to run them and manage them, we tend to look at them as entities unto themselves, as opposed to opportunities for building value in our communities. Uh, my my, my like, addition to Spencer's argument would be this. Before you separate the operation of the golf course from the, the tax base and the, the opportunity cost, okay? Because those are two separate arguments, and I think there's a really good argument to be made that if you've got four golf courses and you're not running them profitably, uh, supply and demand says you should close one or two. And, you know, make <laughs> have them have them be at least break even enterprises. But beyond that, the right. opportunity cost thing, the, the, the lowest hanging fruit is to develop the land on the edge of the golf course and, mm-hmm. de- you know, develop it in a way that uh, maximizes the property values, maximizes the um, the revenue for the community and you know, it, it makes that amenity actually reflect then into the tax base, put trails yeah. so that people can walk uh, on the edge of it. You know, there, there's, there's all kinds Wait, of don't ways. You say
0: that you walk along a golf course by your house.
1: Yeah. There's a golf course. Uh, actually
0: the,
1: the entrance that I can get on is about 500 feet from my driveway and nice. it's a 36 hole beautiful, you know, golf course. And I, yeah, I take the dog for a walk on it every night. It's, it's really, really nice. Uh, that's an amenity that you don't have to live on a golf course to be able to enjoy. And if it's a municipal course, that's a totally easy thing to do. Um,
0: yeah. And many know, people pointed that out in their comments, like, well, don't you think some of the value of the housing around comes from the fact that they're by the golf course? And like, I'll concede a little bit of that, but I, I doubt that if some of that land was given over to housing or commercial, you know, all those people are going to move away and say, like, I don't want to live here anymore because I'm not, like, fronting a golf course. I don't know. That well, seemed a little bit preposterous to me.
1: A few years ago, I, I was working with a city that wanted to build some softball fields. And they actually, they wanted to build three new base, like, little league baseball fields and softball fields. And they, they couldn't come up with the money to do it, but they had access to land. And, of course, where was the land? Two miles out on the edge of the city. Uh, it was, you know, n- not, not, the, not the best location, but they could get the land for really, really cheap. I sat down with them and I said, look, look what we want is we want ball fields in, in a place that makes sense for people, uh, that add value and, and create wealth for the community uh, by their location and their access and their design. So I I sat down and I took some vacant land that was within a a couple blocks of the core downtown. This was a small town. And I laid out what new softball fields would look like. And with this, I included uh, new housing that would go in kind of along the outfield and along some of the base paths so that basically people who wanted to could live next to a ball field and have their back deck or their back stoop uh, or patio area kind of front onto this baseball, set of baseball fields. And I said, look, we, we can go and partner with some developers and have them build these this housing. We can use that revenue then that we get from doing that to build the fields. And we can actually cash flow this thing and have a really nice amenity. And I kind of laid it all out for them in a cash flow diagram. The reaction yeah. was... Who would want to live on a ball field? <laughs> I'm like, I, I would, <laughs> you know, and I certainly, you know, when when I actually got out of school or graduated and I lived in the city for a year uh, right after I got married and the, I lived in this like really junky apartment uh, a few blocks away from where this was. And I said, I would have loved to have had an apartment that where my deck overlooked a ball field. That would have been fantastic. And in the winter, you could have an ice skating rink there. There's all kinds of things you could do. We don't think of it this way. And the biggest person pushing back against a proposal was the parks director. And the parks director said, you know, I don't do housing. I don't do development. I don't do, I, I run parks. So I want to build a park basically. And I don't want to deal with all this other stuff, but it's all this other stuff that actually makes a project viable and productive and, and, in Steve Mozan's words, loved, you know, over time. So it actually is taken care of and maintained.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Well, we should probably wrap this up for today, but I wanted to quickly go over, we have several new members from last week um, and I may mispronounce because there's some interesting names going on here. Okay, so we have Larry Schooler from Austin, Texas. Charles Noble from Minneapolis, Minnesota, Marnie McGrath from Olympia, Washington. Awesome. Uh, Colleen McDonald from Jenkintown, Pennsylvania, Rex Kallenbach from Champaign, Illinois, Jessica Guzman from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Oh, Milwaukee. Cool. Um, Bjorn Grepenberg from Petaluma, California, and Quillen Donnelly from Newark, uh, Delaware. So that's a good group. And, uh, Mr. Noble from Minneapolis is actually an old, uh, high school friend of mine who I randomly ran into at our event in Minneapolis. So he kind of found the organization through that and glad that Fantastic. he's become a member.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. We had, uh, quite a few, I, I know there's a-, a couple more that will be on the list next week from Olympia that signed oh, up cool. as- after the event. Yeah. And, and they might not be like Olympia addresses, but they were at the Olympia event. And so that's, just very cool to see. I I really appreciate when people hear the message and then step up and say, I want to help support this movement and what you guys are doing. Yes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. All right, everyone. Well, we will uh, talk to you again next week and uh, have a great week, everyone.